Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Hey guys, it's Darren here, the producer of the show, and we'll continue with perpetual traffic in just a second. But first, I just want to say this episode is brought to you by Business Lunch with Roland Frazier. Now, just imagine how much more successful you would be if you could have lunch every week with people like Richard Branson or Rachel Hollis. Well, now you can. This is your official invitation to join us for lunch. Tomorrow, it's the amazing Sarah Blakely, billionaire, entrepreneur, out-of-the-box thinker, and founder of Spanx. It came to me while I was sitting in traffic in Atlanta. I had been racking my brain and literally I just saw the word Spanx come across the dashboard in my mind. I pulled off the side of the road. I wrote it down. I went home that night and I went on uspto.gov, which was a website I spent a lot of time on and trademarked it with my credit card for $150. And at the last second that I was hitting send to trademark it, I backspaced the K and the S, and I put an X. So we'd love for you to join us tomorrow with Sarah Blakely on Business Lunch with Roland Frazier on Apple Podcasts. All right, back to you guys. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 188 of Perpetual Traffic. I have my wonderful co-host, Ralph Burns, here with me today. Ralph, how's it going? Very good. How are you, Molly? Great. Awesome. Glad to be here with you today. We also have a really special guest today, and I don't say that lightly. The guest that Ralph and I decided to bring on this episode is a mentor of mine and someone that I've looked up to in our industry for a long time. His name is James Shramko. James has superfastbusiness.com. James also has Silver Circle, which is a high performance coaching program that I've been a part of for a couple of months now. 
and the coaching that I've received from James has completely changed my business. It's a big reason that you see Molly back teaching again. It's why I'll be releasing a book this year, and it's why I'm making a lot of the business decisions that I've made over the past three to four months. So this is going to be a really special episode. We're going to touch on this industry. James has had so much experience in digital marketing the last 10 to 15 years. So we're going to talk about how all of this has evolved, what that means for you. So James, so pumped to have you on. Thanks for being here. Uh, This is a real privilege. Thank you, Molly and Ralph. Yeah, and not to uh, pump up your tires even more, but as of this month, I'll be actually benefiting from James's tutelage once again. He, was, <laughs> yeah, he coached myself and a former business partner for quite some time. And I always sort of go back to one specific piece of advice, and I'm going to leave this as an open loop. That was the most brilliant thing that he ever said to me. And it came true this past year, and it's actually tripled my business, not only my profitability and sales, but also happiness and everything that goes along with running a successful business. So James is a super smart guy. So definitely check him out at the very least at superfastbusiness.com. Subscribe to his podcast, which I'm a big fan of as well. And obviously in his high level mastermind here with me and Molly, this is going to be a pretty good year in 2019. So happy to (laughs) have you on Team Silver Circle here. Yep, that's it. I'm just here going bright red. (laughs) (laughs) It's early there in Sydney. James, so I read your book, Work Less, Make More, and I got to learn your story in the first couple of chapters. Will you kind of tell us how you landed here back in the BMW day? I think it was BMW, but I love your story. It shows you what this industry, what kind of lifestyle it can give you. Yeah, well, gosh, you know, the, the BMW phase lasted two years and that was my first sales job. I was an expectant father, had to double my income. I was uh, like 24 years old. I went out and got a sales job and I came first in the whole country within a year of joining that job through sheer determination and uh, a good study of sales books. And then I switched to Mercedes-Benz for the rest of my career. I went through that sales curve. I repeated my results there and then I got promoted through to sales manager And then someone, uh, Mercedes-Benz actually asked me to go to another dealership and help grow their business properly. And as a sales manager, I got promoted to general sales manager. And then for the last mission, Mercedes asked me to go to another dealership and I was a general manager there and I had to turn it around basically. And that was the last job I had. But uh, during the last couple of years, I had this strong desire to have my own business. I'd been reading books from people like Jay Abraham. And I was pretty charged up. I just didn't know what business I would have. And I figured it would be good to learn how to build a website. So I was pulling out this long cable every night, putting the laptop there that I actually purchased from the profits of my first sales training that I did for a client. So I reinvested all of the money back into the laptop. And what year was this really quick, James? Like this wasn't last year. (laughs) Last year, right. uh, (laughs) First domain I bought was 2005, the end of 2005. Okay, Okay, so just to date this a bit. Just to date it a bit. Things were a bit harder then. You know, this (laughs) predates Facebook groups, Facebook pages, and so forth. So it was a bit harder to build a website. There was no Wix. And it was pretty challenging. But over that first, uh, it took two and a half years till the point where I could match my income and then quit my job. And there was the first major 
Part of that was being an affiliate for a software program. I sold a lot of this software, just one product. I was getting that up to around about $10,000 a month. And then the big master move that enabled me to quit was going to work for a couple of businesses as their internet marketing guy. And I had two clients who put me on a recurring retainer of $5,500 per month to do their online marketing, which meant website, AdWords, SEO, content, and reporting. Dang. Nowadays, you usually hire someone to do one of those. <laughs> well, that's one of the you big changes, you know? <laughs> you did I it I was all. able to do all of that. And, you know, 10 years ago in Australia, it wasn't so well known. You know, people weren't up to speed. The general public weren't using Twitter. They might have been on Facebook. We were lagging behind the United States in terms of awareness. I mean, it was a big revolution back then for me to convince the dealership to put .com on the number plate frames on the back of the cars. Wow. I mean, to, wow. to be website aware was rare, but I could see this is a huge thing, this internet thing. It's not going away anytime soon. And I put my energy into that. So that was like 10 and a half years ago now. I left the corporate world and had my own business. And it's been a wonderful ride since, you know, having dabbled in affiliate marketing, information product marketing. I've had my forum now, Superfast Business, the original version of that's been going for over 10 years. Hmm. Uh, Silver Circle's nine years old. Uh, my podcast is about 10 years old. Wow. And uh, yeah, and, and I had an agency there at the retail level. And then subsequently, I started a wholesale level agency and we became a pretty big supplier for SEO. We had a seven figure a year SEO business and we had a website development business. And then I sold those businesses a few years back and I've concentrated these days on the coaching. And in the background, I build out our own properties as a publisher. And these days I do revenue share deals as well. And probably started to hear more about that I've just been teaching my own members about that business model because I really like that one as well. Wow. You've done a bit. <laughs> well, I think that it's not just my experience, which is the great thing, because I get to work with so many people on a daily basis. And I mean, literally, I've been logging in almost every day for a decade, and there's been around about 500 members at any one time in Superfast Business. And there's always been around about 30 members of Silver Circle. There's a few extra at the moment. And I get to see all these other businesses. I think it's probably like your previous posting, Molly, where you got access to a bigger data set and you can learn faster and learn with more leverage than if you're just trying to do it by yourself. So I've, I've been the beneficiary of seeing what's working across the best customer sample size from those groups. And of course, what doesn't work. Right. right. And you've, you know, kind of been in the shadows behind a lot of big names in our industry, too, that most people probably don't know that about you. But the insight that you've had into how this industry has even been built is really fascinating. But I think what attracted me most to want to work with you is your views around work-life balance. Because I think in our industry, in the business world, there's still this hustle and grind mentality. And, you know, I've 
fallen uh, susceptible to this in my career. And it's something that I've struggled with. And even reading the concept of earnings per hour in your book was really fascinating to me. But before I ask you about that, will you tell us why did you decide to leave your job? And really like this lifestyle that you preach, is this something you've always been passionate about? Or is that why you left your job is essentially what I'm asking you. But I just want you to speak to that because I think that could help a lot of listeners. Yeah, this one's uh, an interesting one because I had someone send me an email saying, look, you're earning 300 grand a year. I can't relate to you. (laughs) And I have to sort of wind them back a bit and say, hang on a minute. Before I was earning that, I was just like everyone else. You know, my first full-time job as a trainee account manager in a debt collection firm, I was earning $18,500 a year back in 1991. So I started at the absolute bottom and I've never had a handout. I've never won the lottery and uh, never got (laughs) an inheritance. So I worked my way up as far as I could go in the business without being an owner. And every fiber in my body was telling me that being single point sensitive for my income was very dangerous. All my income was coming from one place and it was in danger of collapse. I mean, this is around that time, if you wind back the clock, you'll see that there was a bit of a financial meltdown happening with the subprime lending crisis in the United States. And I could see I'm in the luxury segment of the market. There's a good chance that my job would be made redundant. At the same Mm -hmm. time, through all of the things that I'd learned about systems and building teams I'd almost made my job redundant anyway. I mean, a really good leader makes his job redundant because you've got all the right people doing all the right things, following the systems. It's low stress, low friction. And the owner could probably see that I had repaired a lot of the broken things that were there when I started that role. We turned this business around by a substantial amount from making a loss to making a profit. I think there was more than a million dollars in profit on that bottom line that we turned it around in around about three or four years. Big businesses like that, by the way, they take a lot longer to fix because you've got 70 (laughs) people uh, spread out across three locations. So I felt really insecure in that job. I felt I had a mortgage. I lived in Sydney, which is expensive. I have four kids. I had six people that I'm supporting, myself and five others. So that was a big stress for me at the age that I was, and I was in my um, mid-30s at this time, and I felt like the weight of the world on my shoulders. So it really was an escape plan. It was, how do I get paid by lots of different people and spread my risk out? And that's the I scenario that. I have now. You know, I have right. at least a 1,000 different people paying mm-hmm. me through various forms, whether it's affiliate through to direct coaching through to large companies sending me publishing revenue and it's spread across multiple countries and multiple currencies so I feel much safer and of course never surrendering equity never having to take a loan for my business being self-funded and highly profitable never hurts and I've managed to work my way into you know a really solid position over that time but the main driver for me was just sheer panic that my job would disappear. And I think I drove to work for the last year wondering if that would be my last day because it was such a pressure cooker. The the automotive industry is a tough industry. You know, the previous role that I had before that one, 
was a wild, wild ride. I mean, I was working for two owners of a business. They were fighting with each other, and I somehow got snagged in the middle of that. One of them thought that I'd sided with the other, which I hadn't, and he was, he like spat on me, and oh uh, he, he was waving a steak knife at me, and like he was like you know screaming, wow. and uh, right. it's like I I just wanted to leave the industry. It was. I didn't want to be that old, sad, burnt out wreck of a guy mm. in the corner who just overcooked it and stayed too long. And uh, when I see people from that industry now, a few things, they all say they get nightmares, which is interesting, you know, like some kind of war survivor. Mm. And uh, the ones who are still there, they haven't really changed at all in the last 10 years, which, you know, is shocking. It's a tough industry. Yeah, for wow. sure. And your escape was a smart one. Sounds like you did the agency stuff, or at least the website stuff, sort of behind the scenes while you were still working. Uh, and absolutely. Then pl planned your escape as opposed to cutting it off, getting fired, yeah. leaving, you know, under your own accord, and then starting something. I didn't really have the option to, you know, I call it swinging from one vine to another. Mm -hmm. I don't like the risk factor of letting go of the vine and swinging through the air with nothing. And some people recommend that method, but usually if you look into it, they're like a 21-year-old with absolutely no possible downside. Right. Like You had five people depending upon you. <laughs> yeah, I had a mortgage to pay. Yeah. There was absolutely, in my mind, there really wasn't a choice. I had a minimum amount that I needed to earn to survive. Just for context, back then, we're talking, uh, I think about 16 years ago, the house that I bought in Sydney was $771,500 and my loan on that was $700,000 oh, and it was interest only. Um, <laughs> and you know that just for context, that is for like an old three bedroom bungalow in Sydney back then. Uh, so the average house price now is over uh, I think it's around a million dollars. It's not wow. cheap. Yeah. So I was like up to my neck in expenses and I just didn't have a choice. So I had to, instead, my goal was to at least match my income before I move. And as soon as I hit that, I was out. Now, the funny thing, a big part of my income back then was CPA marketing. Mm -hmm. And so after I quit my job, I cranked up paid campaigns. I was spending three or $4,000 a day on ads across like five, six, seven platforms. And one of the offers that I promoted went broke and I ended up not getting paid for that. I lost, gosh, it was like, I can't remember if it was like 8,000 or 13,000. I think I've blocked it from my memory bank. But I went into that first Christmas, six months after leaving my job and I had ran out of cash. Basically, I just never got paid back for my ad spend. And I had a cash flow crunch. And I remember that Christmas, I wasn't able to buy presents for my kids. And it was like, wow. Like looking back, it was such a crazy move, but I managed to pull it off. Shortly after that, just a month or so after that, is when Superfast Results, which was the first version of my forum, started. And I've uh, been going for 10 years since. So I've managed to build that recurring revenue aspect and I basically paid off debts and, and never looked back. You started to own the race course. That's why I'm so passionate about it. It absolutely. was really, uh, it's absolutely critical to not place yourself in that single point sensitive position where 
everything rides on something that someone else controls. And if they pull the rug, it can be devastating. And you do see it a lot. Yeah, that's something that, that James always says just for our listeners. What do you say, James? It's better to own the race course than to own the race horse. Mm. Uh, so a lot of people are the race horse and they're on someone else's race course. And, and if the race course owner says, look, you can't race here, you're out. So in our world, it's like if you build your entire income off uh, being a YouTube celebrity, for example, and that's all you have, or you have a big Facebook group, and then one day the big company doesn't like what you're doing, or they turn it off, or they no longer support it. I mean, look at like Google Plus just getting turned off right now. Mm -hmm. I remember when Google Video got switched off, and uh, what Yahoo Video, <laughs> like I've seen a lot of platforms come and go in the last 10 years even that don't exist now. Or back in the day, you could have been a MySpace celebrity, I suppose. Friendster. <laughs> Friendster. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Friendster. And also in terms of not only owning your traffic source, but what you said about diversifying your income, that really hit home to me a few months ago when you said that to me. And that was a huge change that I've made in my business, right? Like not just relying on consulting or agency work, but also getting back into, you know, teaching and selling information. And now that I look back, I do feel more stable and more grounded and I feel happier because of that. So I think that's a big takeaway for a lot of you guys out there. And I think you did it one step at a time, too. You didn't do it all at once. I mean, you did it with two customers or sort of two sources and then diversified from there. I mean, now you have thousands of people paying. Yeah, and, you know, like I went too far with it. I think you mm -hmm. can go too far with diversification. Like for the first couple of years, when I'd actually map out on my whiteboard my business interests online so there's two things with diversification one is you could go too wide like i didn't go into shares property forex online and all sorts of other ostrich eggs <laughs> plantations you know i mainly stuck to my business lane and especially right. online mm -hmm. but within that i still had like 10 or 11 profit centers and it was a bit too many and what i have found is i've been able to pick my winners from the portfolio and then zoom in on those uh, which is a big reason why I sold off my SEO business and my website business. Uh, not that they weren't winners. Well, the website business wasn't a great business, but the SEO business was a terrific business. You know, when I was left with just the coaching, I was really able to maximize that. And I've actually had more profit now with less business units than I had with more business units because of that ability to focus on them. So you've got to be careful not to go too broad. Mm. But I certainly wouldn't rely on just one. And that comes under the category of compromise. If you can have less compromise, you will sleep better and you will be more confident and you will be happier and you will be able to, I mean, it's almost like the magic of tidying up, you know, but with the business, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the business units you're involved with can spark joy, then you're going to be really good at it and productive and, and engaged and interested rather than just droning it out because it's the only thing you've got. No one wants to be in that position, but plenty of people navigate themselves there all by themselves. You know, like it's it's crazy. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, as a part of that journey was obviously was the transition into an agency with two very successful agencies. And I think there's a lot of agencies that listen to this show here and get some of their insights about how to run Facebook and Instagram ads. But you know a lot about running an agency and how to deal with customers and Obviously, it was a good choice for you because you had diversified away from just that service-based business to 
what is currently information or coaching business. But tell us a little bit about the mindset as to why you wanted to divest those parts of your portfolio. Like, what was it about the agency business that were the pros, the cons? I know last time I had talked to you a couple of years ago, you were sort of thinking about doing it and hadn't quite done it yet. So maybe take us through that part of the journey. Well, agencies, uh, it was a little bit like my old industry in a way where you can have a high ticket. I mean, you can get paid well with an agency, but you're generally going to be people dependent and you have a high intensity of customer interaction. And the part that I don't love, but I can do, and I'm good at it, is the high-level customer interaction. Uh, I think you know what I'm talking about. You're probably smiling when I talk about that. (laughs) Ralph is giggling and thinking back to a conversation we just had. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, almost every agency you talk to, they're going to say, like, it'll be a great business if not for the customers. (laughs) I'm going to stay silent on that one because I know some of our customers listen. So anyway. Right, look, I, I, look I, it's, it's not an easy job purely because you've got to be a high-level communicator and there's this constant requirement to balance expectations. I mean, mm. let me tell you if this sounds familiar. Almost everyone who wants to get help with a Facebook ad is going to believe that the Facebook ad agency is a practitioner of magic and can turn any offer into <laughs> the most amazing windfall ever regardless of funnel or, you know, if the offer is actually good or not. And they have an expectation you'll be able to achieve it at a very low cost per lead and that it'll start working as soon as they sign up. Absolutely. Uh, All true. All true, James. (laughs) And the reality is it's probably not as smooth sailing as that for the agency. You've got to hope that the offer is good. They may or may not have any assets that are useful. Almost certainly there's an upfront learning curve, which is going to result in a negative and you'll probably find some quick wins if you're competent. And then the other problem is there's probably a lot of not that great agencies out there. You wouldn't know if they're good or not because your offer sucks. But if you did have a great offer, there's a good chance you've been burnt by a bad agency as well. So mm-hmm. because there's, there's no real ability for you to know if an agency is great or not, it's a tough one. So when it comes to why would I have the agency or not, I didn't want to end up having customer-facing support at a high level because that drives up the wages bill. It drives up my job-like function of the business. And I wanted a more passive business. I wanted a more leveraged approach. I I feel like I'd already done the high-level stuff. You know, I was running a sales team of 21 people. It was high energy, high wages, high uh, awareness. And I wanted to just pull back a bit. So I ended up moving my business into a wholesale supplier. And I took a lower payment with the SEO business. We got paid less than what our customers were selling our stuff for. But we didn't have to deal with the end user. We just dealt with resellers who were dealing with the end user. And we had hundreds of resellers who we were dealing with over and over again. So I know about me, I would much rather have a great relationship with someone on a long-term basis than to constantly make new relationships. Now, some people love making new relationships. They love doing the direct outreach, the networking and rubbing belly buttons at live events and being a (laughs) rainmaker and bringing in leads. And those people probably do really well with an agency because that's a big part of business development. So I just basically cut out the bits of the business I didn't really want or care for. It's probably a similar reason why I've avoided e-commerce. I didn't want a shed full of widgets. 
I didn't want the low margin uh, physical goods type of business. So I've basically carved my business around what I wanted. The SEO business worked really, really well at scale. And for that, I could just focus on building my team. And we had quite a few people. At one point, I had 65 people in our business. They were all in the Philippines and they were very great to work with. And my skill set suits leadership and it was easy to build and manage a team like that and to get them humming along. And I didn't have the usual problems that you have in a Western business where you build up the people and then they go and leave and sometimes even compete with you uh, and poach all your customers. Uh, so this is the other downside of the high-level agency model. There can be some carnage out there. There's a, it's a lot more energy and emotion goes into running an agency. But if you position yourself well and if you have a great agency business model, it can be a wonderful high-profit business. And I coach lots of agencies uh, many of them you've probably even had on this podcast from YouTube through to AdWords. And I can see where they get joy and where they get frustration. So coming from the agency side, and obviously now you hire agencies or you hire other people to do a lot of the work, in essence, for some of your businesses, what is the best way? We have a lot of people, a lot of businesses that listen to this podcast week in, week out. I'm actually amazed at some of the larger brands that actually listen to this podcast because they have internal teams and they're trying to decide, should I work with an agency? Should I just train up my mm. team a little bit more? Or maybe I'm at that point where I'm running my ads right now and maybe I should hire somebody from my Google PPC or Facebook. Yeah, or should I hire someone in-house? Yeah. I mean, I get this question all the time. Well, if you're going to hire in-house, you definitely need to have them really well trained. So that's where courses like Molly's come into it that's the big deal. It's it's a constant question that I get asked too. I believe you, you probably can bring in house, but it is definitely harder in some ways. Yeah. It's a lot of risk. Well, and it's also become more specialized. Like if you go back 10 years, like Ralph, you said this, I was able to handle all those things myself. Mm -hmm. And these days you kind of need a Facebook person and an AdWords person and a YouTube person and an Instagram person in a way, because each of those platforms if you know what you're doing, you can really maximize it. So even in my business, so I've got one guy who's mostly good at Facebook and, of course, the little Instagram off to the side there. And, and that's where he mainly focuses. Now, if you've got a great offer running on Facebook and then you want to, you know, you max it out or you sort of can't go much further with it, then you might want to talk to someone who's a YouTube expert and because of all their industry knowledge and the data sets they've seen, they'll probably get you much bigger wins than you could achieve by yourself. You might get there, but it might take a long time. So really, it, it comes back to the, is this something I want to learn how to do? Or is it something we need to find a, a who? You know, who instead of how? And if you do hire in-house, that is a tricky one because generally, if someone's very, very good, then they don't need you. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're probably already doing their own thing. They start to want to become a teacher or run their own products. Usually the really good agencies, that's the other challenge. They start out cheap and they can get quite good and then they get this referral word of mouth because they're the ones that are good and all the other ones are bad. And then, then they get booked out solid and then you can't speak to the primary person anymore and now 
they become less accessible and they be- get more expensive and then they usually price themselves out of your bracket. So there's different tiers of agency, uh, not to borrow too much of your brand name, Ralph, there, but uh, <laughs> you know, when I think of agencies, I'm, I'm often trying to match an agency to a, a client's level of business because there's some agencies that, that you know, you're not ready to talk to unless you're already doing a certain amount of volume and you've got an offer that converts because they can just cherry pick from the absolute best clients in the world. And then there's ones who are just starting out and they will take you on, but they're maybe not that good or there's a little bit of unknown. So it is a minefield for sure. And if you do go down the route of hiring someone or having an intern and training them up, how long is it until they you know, go mm. off and venture out into the world on their own. And that's mm-hmm. kind of, that's what I call the Western way. That's a very typical yeah. path for a Western business person. So if somebody, if a business does make the decision, okay, this is something that I do want to outsource. I want to get an agency to do this. Either I'm sick of doing it myself or, you know, my internal team, I want them doing other things. You've obviously dealt with a wide variety of types of customers in the businesses that you've had a lot with very defined scopes of work and others like websites, which are could be incredible scope creep, which is always sort of a risk that you run as an agency. From your perspective as an agency owner and now as a business owner, you're always a business owner, of course, but what's the best way for a company to work with an agency? Like what sort of mindset do you have to have aside from the one that you had said before, which is totally unrealistic uh, that we sort of joked about, But from that perspective, I find that is actually a conversation we have a lot when we have discovery calls, when people are trying to decide, should I hire tier 11 or not? And we always try and help them make the right decision. But from your perspective, what's the best way to set a company up for success when they first hire an agency? It's a similar conversation I have to people when they're looking to hire a team, because that's a conversation I have all the time. I do a lot of tuning to help the customer be a realistic buyer, like to spec out their job quite well to get a sense of referrals to know where the good source is to so to eliminate a lot of wasted energy and time so firstly is to chop out bad choices of their who would be a good agency for them to consider working with like i would go down the referral route i'd want to know from people who's good and it's pretty easy to get a feedback these days when you do find the ones it's good to shoot for the ones who may not even accept you because usually they'll at least their referral might be worth something uh, as to where they'll refer you off to if you're not ready yet. But try and have everything ready that you can to be a good client. You know that an agency is going to want to know about what you actually sell, what sort of funnel you have in place, if you've got any sort of analytics or conversion metrics, what's the result you're looking for? Are you trying to get more followers? Are you trying to build authority? Do you want to actually make sales? How long does it take for you to break even? Do you have back-end offers? All of these things could help an agency plan better for you. It's also good to not have like 15 decision makers or a board that you have to go and ask permission for, even if you do take on an agency. This thing used to astound me. This one blew me away. People would buy services and then not even tell us what website we're working on for SEO or they'd order a website and never give us the answers to a brief. And yeah. it got, got so Customers amazing. Customers forget that they have to do a little work too. Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Like you know, if you hire a copywriter or you hire a team member or you bring on an agency, 
they're going to want things from you and, mm-hmm. and it would behoove you to be prepared for that because the more you can assist them and guide them, I mean, even with my Facebook helper, we create a folder and that's where we have to put assets. We need to give them stuff that would help them to do their job. If you hire someone and then you tie their hands behind their back, then what can you expect? Not a whole lot. And a lot of agencies are on a, a retainer model. Yeah. And the key to a retainer uh, retention is to being able to deliver results. So I'd be asking myself, if I'm going to get this agency, am I committed to delivering them everything they need from me to get the result that I expect? Absolutely. I mean, it's astounding to me. Sometimes people will come on as customers for us and they will pay and then they just won't want to actually start. It's like they've made the decision, okay, I hired an agency and then I'll start at some point. Like we actually have customers right now that have paid us two, three months ago. We're still trying to get them to their onboarding call, which is amazing to me. But anyway, sometimes it's, that's the way that it is, but that probably doesn't portend a favorable outcome if we're starting off in no, it's just it's, at some point it'll be a request to stop, and yeah. then in the worst case, it'll be a request for a refund mm-hmm. for the you know the unused portion. It got to a point where we used to ask for information before we let people order. Mm. We'd have them fill out information, and then they could purchase. At least we had enough information to get to started, mm-hmm. and uh, that that was a big change for us. I mean, I think one of the things that you said is to think about an agency like as if you were hiring a new hire. I mean, yes. you need to bring them into the fold. You need to train them. You need to give them the resources to be successful. It's the same kind of thing. And I think, you know, when people have a tendency to look at agencies as very different, oh, that's a different business. I'm not going to treat it the same way. When in fact, you're still dealing with human beings at the end of the day. You still have your customer success manager who is the front-facing person, you know, in the agency that deals with the CMO or whoever the contact is, it's still, it's a team work relationship. Obviously the agency is doing the heavy lifting, but especially in those first 90 days or so, we just find that is the critical part to set everything up for success. And if the communication isn't there, that does not bode well. Thankfully, we've got a pretty good process in place to screen that out, but that is 100% a commonality that we see for sure. If the buyer switched from a done for you mindset to a done with you mindset, then that would solve a lot of the challenges. And of course, the agency can do plenty of education in that marketing phase. The indoctrination, training that client how to be a great client would be good. But now you can just send them to this podcast, so you're sorted. <laughs> You must listen to episode 188 before you join. (laughs) We've actually had customers. We're talking about sort of the troublesome ones from that initial engagement phase. And we typically will engage people with, you know, a three, four month engagement, prove ourselves, and then let's figure out if we want to get married from there. But the ones who come to us and say, how can I be a great customer? I, I think probably a handful have asked that. And they're customers that stayed on with us for years and years and years if not our current customers to this day, where they really did think about it as a partnership. You know, I'm not just like pushing this off to you and forgetting about it. You do need assets. You do need my input. You do need my buy-in. And we look at it as a team. And I think when you set it up that way, there's a lot of success that comes out of it, as opposed to an adversarial, hey, I'm paying you every single month. You better produce results or else. And the other thing you can do is you can actually give your audience an example of what a good customer is. 
a reason why kids don't get A papers at school is their teacher never showed them an A paper. So they don't even don't even know what it looks like. The other day I was actually cooking something with my wife and we were trying to cook a particular item that I've never actually seen before, which made it hilarious, our conversation. Like, I'm trying to work to a result that I don't even know what it's supposed to be. And that just made me realize how I'm put in this position where it's, it's kind of remarkable if I actually end up with anything like what it's supposed to be. So if you could show someone the perfect result, and a good way for an agency to do that would be with case studies. Do some case studies or demonstrations of success stories and show what made it successful and train your prospects as what these people brought to the table. They brought to the table a fantastic offer. They had some great assets in place. They had someone on their team who was able to communicate quickly and adapt as the campaign unfolded. And they were very clear about uh, what their goals were and what the metrics needed to be. And you were able to work together to achieve that outcome. That's a nice training piece to help other That's people brilliant. you know, fit into the, the right way of doing things. Yeah, totally. That's a great idea. Super helpful. Well, awesome, Shramco. This has been amazing. We appreciate you coming on so much. Any last things you want to say or words of wisdom? <laughs> Gosh, if left unchecked, we could probably talk for the next few months. Uh, it, I just want to hear you tell stories. I know. That's really, that's really the point. This, you know, it's a changing game. I'd say that my main thing would be just be super comfortable with change because that's the thing that, that we know is going to continue to happen. Don't get so fixed or locked into something that you have to invest further into sunk costs. Like be willing and able to adapt as the changes happen, because what you're doing now is probably not what you're going to be doing in the future. And some things don't change too much. I've been lucky to pick some core things. I went really well with the membership. I knew that podcasting would be good for the long haul. I think we're moving into a really interesting phase of AI and that's going to change things more than and anything that's come before it. So if I was an agency, I'd be thinking about how AI might be incorporated uh, into the mix over time. It will become important. I imagine that's the trend. And of, of course, follow the parts of the business that make you the most happy and excited because you'll be really, really good at it and stop trying to do stuff that uh, gets you down. Wow. Well said. And I think <laughs> listeners of this podcast, if they've listened to any of the 187 episodes prior to this, the reason why Facebook gives us so much material to talk about every week, because it is constantly changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's going to change even more in the next six months from what it looks like. And you know, this was interesting. We were at a mastermind. We were talking to, well, Ezra has been on this podcast many times. And he, he's, he kept sort of waxing about 2017, about how great of a year it was for advertising. It's like, it doesn't matter. That's in the past. And he realized that it doesn't matter what he did in 2017 or 2018. It's all about what you're going to be doing now because the platform is constantly changing. Everything in business is changing. And if you have that mindset that what you've done in the past, it does not necessarily equal the future. And I'm starting to sound like Tony Robbins, more like anybody else here. But the point is, I think I was, for sure. I, was, I don't know when they started, but I have a feeling I was running Facebook ads sometime around 2008. Yep. That's um, when they started. Wow. Uh, yeah. I was like, I was on there at the very beginning. I imagine it's changed a lot since then, <laughs> but I can tell you, <laughs> just a little my, my eyes just glaze over when I even look at that advertising thing. I don't touch it. 
and, and that's that's a big thing over time the change for me was to get the hell away from that stuff i'm not the technician anymore it's mm-hmm. too specialized it's too high level and that's why you, you bring in help it's recognizing when you you shouldn't go near the dashboard. <laughs> Get one layer away from it. Completely. And there are a lot of people, you know, their time's best used elsewhere. Well, James, you are our Buddha. <laughs> you guys make um, me smile. So the Aussie so, Buddha. Wow. So we'll have you back to see if these predictions come true. Is no. that because I'm bald and fat or <laughs> for some other reason? <laughs> like slimmer than you ever have. I don't know what you're doing down there. Right? But, yeah. I just surf a lot, Ralph. Just That's lots of surfing. That's good. All right, guys, we'll check James out at superfastbusiness.com. If you would like high-performance coaching with James and to get to talk to him one-on-one about your business, I can't emphasize the value of that and how much it's changed mine. Definitely check out Silver Circle. And again, James, thank you so much for coming on, and we can't wait to have you back. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. John Moran here. Q1 is closing and it probably didn't go as well as you'd hoped. I'm sure your agency is telling you that they crushed it, but in reality, it probably crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you, or if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what, go to tier11.com forward slash apply. That's tier11.com forward slash apply. And we'll get set up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make agencies look good.